Listener Production. Hello and welcome to Secrets of a Self-Starter. My name is Mim Rizvi and in this podcast, we're going to introduce you to some of the country's brightest young businesswomen and wildly successful self-starters in a mentoring session. These young businesswomen pitched their way to seed capital funding and mentorship in a national competition led by the Accelerator for Enterprising Women. Today's mentor is... Laura Henshaw. Laura and her best friend slash business partner, Steph Miller, founded and built Keep It Cleaner, a lifestyle brand encompassing an app, health food products, books, events, and more. Laura is now the CEO of Keep It Cleaner, or KIC, and is passionate about promoting body positivity, self-acceptance, and helping others make sustainable changes towards a healthier and happier lifestyle. Our mentee, Elaine, is also working in the health space, specifically the healthcare space. Elaine founded the app Escalate, where health workers can crowdsource feedback and ideas while helping the right decision makers to quantify impact and allocate resources. Being a healthcare worker herself, she's seen the pressures and stresses that the pandemic brought on and is driven by a deep and genuine passion to support health organisations everywhere. But enough from me, let's jump on in and hear the mentoring session between Laura Henshaw and Elaine. My name is Laura Henshaw. I am the co-founder and CEO of Keep It Cleaner, which is a health and wellness app. And through meals, movement and mindfulness, we help people find their healthy recipe, whatever that is for each person to a healthier and happier life. And then my fun fact, or I would say that the funnest thing about me is that I have two golden retrievers that I love so much. They're called Bill and Ben, not after the flowerpot men, but you know, it does, <laughs> it does rhyme. And we let them sleep in our bed most nights because they're so obsessed with them. I don't know if that's fun. That <laughs> is my fun. Life. <laughs> and I totally support the dog sleeping in the bed. My dog Rosie sleeps in my bed, so. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Elaine. I am the co-founder and CEO of Escalate. So we help health organizations to collate staff feedback and also ideas and direct it to the correct manager. So there's a better closed loop within the system. And I suppose a fun fact about me is that I actually still work as a clinical pharmacist and also I work in implementation of digital software in hospitals on the side as well still. Oh, wow. And I'm going to throw in an extra fun fact about Elaine because I know this one, (laughs) that Elaine is also a figure skater. Yes. Are you? Yes. Yes. Since I was four, I started figure skating. It's not the easiest sport, I would say, to (laughs) get to like a rink. So I feel like it's definitely something I do when I have a bit more time on my hands. Yeah. It's so cool, though. I find it very impressive. Wow. I've, very I've multi-talented. tried and I, when I go on the ice rink, I've been like three times and I'm so uncoordinated. I'm so worried. I'm going to like chop, I'm going to fall over and slice yeah. my arm or something. <laughs> and so I, just, I stay on the sides. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very impressive. Yeah. It's still a genuine fear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry to bring it up. <laughs> Laura, we usually start these episodes by asking our mentor if they ever had a business mentor in the past. And if you did, what was the most helpful piece of advice that they ever gave you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have, I have them now. I think 
I feel like I we can just get so much information from so, so many people now um, through, you know, books and reading and listening. But I would say for me, Janine Alice was a very special one. I'd always admired Janine's journey. I, I literally, when, when we got to meet her, I, I cried because <laughs> I was so overwhelmed with how excited I, I was to meet her. And the advice that she gave us was to trust our gut. And that mm. to the, this day is something that we always, always come back to. All right. So Elaine, I'm going to throw to you now. Um, so you can ask Laura some questions and hopefully Laura will become your business mentor. Yeah. So when I started Escalate, I definitely had the vision of bringing healthcare workers community together. And I know that Keep It Cleaner, it's very big on the community and building up the community in the fitness space. So just want to know um, what are your core values and how does it come through your journey in the past five years? Oh, that's, that's such a good question. Absolutely for us. So one of our biggest core values is community. I think it's something that we just actually had our kick tour in New Zealand. We just came back on Monday and it's so special. What we say before we start any event is that when we first started, Steph and I were leading mm. and we were, you know, leading the community, but I feel like now we are just so lucky to be a part of it. And kick is community without community that there, no. it does, it does not exist. So we, we're so grateful for them. And that's definitely one of our biggest core values. Another one that, that we have is kindness. That's obviously so, so, so important. Um, and it's something that, especially in, in the health and wellness space, specifically in fitness, yeah. it's something that isn't always so common because we often put so much pressure on ourselves that we need to look a certain way mm. and be a certain way in our bodies you know, need to look a certain way. But what Kik is all about is kind of getting rid of all of that pressure that we put on ourselves and leading a healthy lifestyle and also creating it like a safe place mm. to be able to be empowered with that information and, and workouts and recipes and mindfulness and, and all the things that, you know, make us feel really good. But without that pressure, because I feel like we can be so mean to ourselves. We're, we're all mm. often like we're so we can be kind to others, but then when it comes to ourselves, we often, the way we speak to ourselves, we, mm. we forget about it. So that's a really, really big part of, of Kik as well. And it probably took us three to four years in our journey to actually define those mm. values. I think it's something that when you first start out, we were just, you know, trying to survive as a business with Steph and I when we started. It was it was just the two of us. So when it's just the two of you, you, you know it inside of you. And because Kick was built on our personal values mm. as well, that was we were so lucky that it was that. But as we grew in our team, we you know, we now have a team of including Steph and I, 18 people in, in the app team. Wow. It's important to define them because you know yeah. people you can't just expect people are gonna come in <laughs> and, and just know them. So they are a really, really big part of what we do and we have internal values and then our external brand mm. values as well and making sure that we stick to them is is so important in, in sticking to our core and, and doing what we do best. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially when you're growing bigger. I feel like there is definitely more and more people coming to you wanting you to do certain things. Have there ever been moments that you felt like you're going astray from that particular vision or those values and how do you sort of look out for that and ensuring that you're keeping true to the original values and how do you find your way back? Oh, it's it's such a good question. It's so hard. I mean, it's happened to us quite a few times. And I think what it comes down to now in managing our business, and I'm sure it's something that you're going through as mm. well. I mean, you mentioned before we got here, you hadn't had time to have a haircut this year. So obviously, <laughs> <laughs> obviously time is time is of the essence. We only have so much time and there's especially when, when you're doing it all by yourself, it's so hard to work out what to spend those hours doing. Mm. And so I think it becomes about what you say no to and that's that's what the powerful thing yeah. is because 
what we know is with Kiki, if we're saying yes to something, because when you're at capacity, it means you're saying no mm. to something else and you have to make sure that when you are making that decision, if you are, because it's important to take on opportunities and I think too, especially if something kind of feels a little bit scary or challenging, like that's often where we grow the most as yeah. a business and, um, and as people as well. But it is so important to understand having that core, what you, you know, what you stand for, what you mm. do. And I think for us, if I reflect on a time where we probably steered away from it, was when we started trying to be everything for everyone. Steph and I just started to get this gut feeling that, hang on, this just doesn't feel mm. like what we do. And it was something that we then went through and we, we went through the, the core values exercise. And then we, we went through with our whole team and we worked through it and we aligned on it. And then we were able to move forward from there. But I think it's something that it, you can never visit your values enough. It's something yeah. that, because you think sometimes we, we work through something, we do this presentation on this document and then we're like, okay, it's done. I'm just going to mm. leave it. Yeah. But it's so important to continue to revisit those values, but also know that it's okay to evolve them. Mm. But making sure if you're evolving them, you know, this original problem that you've you've tried to solve with your business, which is so fantastic, that that's oh. still at your core. What was your core values exercise? We had um, actually one of our, our mentors and business advisors work through it with us and that was so wonderful. I think it's something that having sometimes with an exercise like that, having an external party to come in and help support you and go through it really, really mm. helps. We mm. went through, I mean, obviously for us, community and kindness has always been, you know, the, the most important values. And then we worked through words that stemmed outside of from that, other words that we felt resonated with us. We did it as a big team exercise with this big brainstorm of all the all the words that we felt were kick. And then mm. we then worked through, okay, so we've got, you know, 50 words here. We can't have 50 <laughs> So then we, we kind of pulled them back and then really aligned on. Steph and I worked with Gabrielle and um, another member of our team, Nicole, and we worked through, you know, the, the words that really felt true to kick mm. and the words that we, you know, spiked this fire in us when we heard them and, you know, that's what we do and, and that's kind of how we work through them. But, yeah, it is, it is it's a hard thing to do. It's something mm. that I think when you're first starting out to think of, okay, how, how many values do I need? What, what do yeah. they need to be? And, and I think too learning that, you know, you can have internal values and then external values and some of them can be the same, but then some of them can be different as well. Mm. Yeah, like I think my biggest takeaway is like definitely keep going back to them and like sometimes even over communicating them is better than under. A hundred percent. I mean, I think over communicating your business in general is always better yeah. than under communicating. <laughs> sure. Also in the start of your journey before you have like 18 members on board, wow. How do you keep yourself accountable as well as motivated? I think having Steph definitely would have been so helpful having someone to share that. But when you're facing roadblocks and things aren't working out, how do you keep yourself motivated and keeping your schedule? Oh, it's such a hard one because when you don't have, I think too now, as we have a team, I am accountable to my team members. So I show up for them obviously every single day. That's why why we do what we do, right? But you have to create accountability because I think for me, I'm someone that the busier I am, the more organized and more efficient I become. But when you're running your business and you're starting out, sometimes there can just be so many things that you have to do that it's just easier to sit down and on the couch and not do anything because everything just seems so overwhelming, right? And so I think what what I found is having mentors and people that were helping support us and advise us, they are people that you can bring in to help you stay accountable. So you might have a session with them that you need to prepare for um, or you need to, you know, come to them with the core values that you're thinking of yeah. or, you know, what your next plan is or in terms of product development, some things that you need to come back to them with or some research that you need to do or data that you need to collect. And so I think if you can bring in more accountability with the people around you, even if you don't have a team reach out to your network. And even if like for me, you might be able to find one mentor, you might be able to have, you know, five of them that all offer different things that you can catch up with once a week. And just having that locked in each week, I think really helps. And then I think as well, just knowing that, are you a to-do list 
person. I, I am. Yes. But sometimes I don't strictly follow. Yeah, but that's true because things <laughs> pop up during the day, right? And you have to, sometimes you just have, some days I literally will start with my to-do list and then I realise that, oh my goodness, I haven't started one thing because, you know, all these other things have happened and you have to react to them and, and fix them. But what's what I find is really helpful too for me is that if I were to write down on my to-do list, create company strategy. Mm. Now, if I, that's all I wrote, I'd just be staring at it and thinking, I yeah, don't even big. know where to start. Yeah, yeah, it's too big. How do I break? Where do I start? And so I would just, that would be something that would continue every single day to be rewritten on the next day's to do list <laughs> and I wouldn't do it, right? One of those. But what I need to do with that is say, okay, so what does that mean? Where do I start? And then I break down where I start and mm. then I time block because in terms of research or looking at data that that can take you know, so much time that we have to be kind of cautious of how we're spending it because it's how when we start our business is the biggest resource that we have, right? Mm. Most valuable resource. So it's mm. trying to work through, I, I time block it, but then I break down each thing. So then I know, okay, so this is how I'm going to approach this creating company strategy. Yeah. And then I set myself goals of like a, to be accountable maybe to our advisors, but also to myself as well. And then I find that that, that helps. Yeah. That's really helpful, mm. especially when um, sometimes there are tasks that does feel a lot more bigger than feeling hard to start, but breaking it down definitely would help. The next question that I think a lot of younger people who want to start a business do face, you often get critiqued or asked, why would you be the best person to start this particular business, especially when you're so young? Um, I feel like especially in the healthcare field, I definitely feel like experience, it's placed very highly in the field. So how do you encounter and also do you feel the constant need of uh, proving yourself or validating that and how do you overcome it? Oh, it's such a good mm. question. I think being a woman as well, I think that yeah. makes it harder. I think yeah. mm. it sounds so silly, but sometimes I say to myself, I just need to channel the confidence of like a 25-year-old guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds so silly, but seriously, sometimes it's, and obviously everyone, especially when it comes to imposter syndrome, it's something that I've felt for a very, very long time. And for anyone listening that doesn't know what that is, it's when you, you are in a role. So for me, for example, right now in the role as CEO of Keep It Cleaner, and you think that you're not good enough to do that role. And it's kind of mm. this voice of self-doubt in the back mm. of your head saying, well, you don't have enough experience. You're too young. Yep. You've never been a CEO before. You know, you haven't been a CFO before, which is a, a common path to becoming a CEO and all those things, right? I used to think the bigger kit got or the more successful we got or the bigger our team grew or the more accolades that, you know, we achieved, the more the imposter syndrome would go away. Mm. But what I've learned... The bigger your company grows, the bigger it gets because then it's like, okay, well oh now, no. yeah, exactly. Now we're running this for us, like this health tech business. And I don't look like who I thought mm. the CEO of a health, you know, tech yeah. subscription business would look like. But what I've had to learn is you feel like you have to prove things to people and get credibility from people. But I've really had to question myself, why, why do I need this? Because I think there's mm. some people that will will never take us seriously. But what I'm driven to do is that I will show them in my work that I have credibility and I'm worthy to be here. But then by the time you have that success, you forget about yeah. that person that, that you were trying to prove or that made maybe made a comment that made you feel like you weren't good enough. So I kind of try to work through that. And I think, why do I actually feel like I have to prove myself to this? And often it's this 65-year-old man. They don't care about my journey. They've just made this comment, but why, why should I take that on? So I work through that. Um, and then also I remind myself that self-doubt is something that I think we all have. I think it means that we care. Mm. I think it's nice to have self-doubt. You know, when you get the butterflies, it's like I really care about this because I want to do an amazing job. 
And that's okay. And for me, I don't think it will ever go away, but it's so important to work out how you can get that voice. And so what I do is I say, I say to it, thank you so much for coming to me today. I know you're looking out for me really because self-doubt is trying to keep us in our comfort zone, right? But I then think of all of the times that I have felt the most fulfilled and I have evolved and grown in my life. And that is when I have gone out of my comfort zone. So I say thank you so much self-doubt for coming here today. I know you're trying (laughs) to protect me. I know I'm going to take the the route I want to take right now is a harder route because it makes me feel nervous, but I'm going to take that because I know that makes me feel good. That evolves us. That helps. Like especially with Kik's evolution, when we have taken the harder route the route outside of our comfort zone, that is when we have, you know, achieved or grown as a company and, and evolved as founders as well and people running the business. So I think it's just learning how to put that voice away, you know, thank it for coming, very nice of it, and then just goodbye, leave it at the door. Yeah, and I think I completely agree. I definitely feel like even going through to the Accelerative for Enterprising Women, like the Kickstarter Challenge, the final pitch at Canberra, like definitely mm. have never done anything like that before, but such a good experience. Definitely come out feeling really empowered and seeing and meeting so many great people who did come up to me and be like, great job and just really want to connect through that. And I think Mm. that's really empowering. Yeah, you did do a great job, Elaine. And that was scary. It was a big audience and everyone had to pitch and there was a lot on the line and you you did a really great job. So you, you overcame that voice. And I think remembering that you've overcome it before and it was fine after. So when it comes back, you can remember how you got past it last time. Yeah, like it's just always going back to that memory does actually make me feel empowered as well. And I think yeah. because that emotion is now linked to that experience, it's sometimes good to think back on those times. So you did mention that you are the CEO of Kick now. So just uh, wondering when you did start doing the role and all of that, how do you make the decision to that transition as well as what does it mean for you personally and also for the business when you are making that transition? Good question. So I took the role around July, it would have been ish last year. Yeah. And it was, it's funny with Steph and I, and I think it's when you have a co-founder, you both run the business, you make a lot of decisions together and we didn't actually really define our roles for the mm. first few years of the business because we didn't really have to. But then what that meant once our team started to grow is for them, it's like, mm. oh, who do I go to for this certain thing? Because then it's it's super inefficient for someone to have to go and, you know, talk to Seth about something and then come to me. It just doesn't yeah. make any sense, right? Mm. Um, and I think too, clarity for your team is so, so, so important as, as you grow. And so for us, it was getting to the point where, okay, we really do need to define our roles a little bit more now. And we hadn't had a CEO in the business before. And actually one of our advisors, she spoke to both of us. And sometimes you need someone to, to come in and help you, you know, have those conversations that you might not have felt not comfortable having, but just they're uncomfortable and they're, you don't know how they're going to go. And the things that, you know, the things that we avoid. And so she came in and she said, I think in observ- observing your business, you need to have a CEO mm-hmm. of the company. And Laura, I think you should do it. And I said, oh, I think Steph and I should do it together. I Because it kind of, the role, it kind of seems like you're the one that makes the decisions, yeah. but we still make all the decisions together. We just, we work in different parts of the business and all the big decisions and the vision is still set by us as the founders, which for you, you should, you should always make sure you're setting that. Yeah. And so then from there, I said, oh, I don't, I don't know. And she said, I've already spoken to Steph. And Steph said that she felt bad asking you to do it because it was going to be a lot of work. <laughs> so and she didn't want to put it on you. And so I'd never spoken up about it because I was kind of, we were avoiding having this conversation, which is so funny. Anyway, so that's how, that's how it came about. And I think it's just been able to provide a lot of clarity for our team. And then also I think it's meant that I think 
sometimes when too many people are responsible for one thing, no one is responsible yes. for it. So it really mm, helps yeah. with that clarity. But yeah, I'm still, I'm learning every day, but I, I'm, I'm really loving it. It's hard, but I'm really loving it. It does seem like that decision is definitely very much driven by staff um, and also what is needed within the team. So I do think that Kick is very much known for its great culture within the workplace. I uh, would just love to know how did you start building that team culture and how does employee experience influence the whole business as well as your journey? as well? Oh, employee experiences, it's so important. I mean, for my journey, you want to be working with people that, you know, want to be there and excited about Kik. And I think for Steph and I, we're just, sometimes we'll look around the office and just think like, wow, it is incredible that we have this team of like super intelligent, driven people that are passionate about Kik. Like this little baby that we started that, you know, has grown beyond our wildest dreams. Like they're, they're working on every single day and we're so grateful for that. And so it's really, really important to, to create a good culture mainly because you want people, first of all, to, to want to come into work, want to work together to really empower them to collaborate. And you can't get that if, you know, people don't want to be there and there's not that positive feeling in the office. So mm. I think too, we all know, you know, if you walk, if anyone walks into a room and they're maybe angry or they've had a really bad morning, that energy can be brought in and it, the whole team can feel it. So yeah. I think it's really, really important we stick to that, you know, with, with kindness being our number one value and community internally and externally. Like we have our kit community who are our people that are, you know, a part of the program. And then we also have our kit community internally, which is our kick team members. But yeah. it is something that uh, for me personally, managing people, I find is it's really hard. It's something that I haven't done before. And I think yeah. too, when you, you set out to start a business or you have an idea and you have a problem that you can solve and you have a product idea for it, you don't set out to manage a team, right? Yeah. That's, it's the, the business that you're starting first. And then what comes with mm. that is that you grow a team. So what I've what I'm learning, and it's taking me a lot of time to learn, I think it comes back to the whole experience thing. And I mean, it's another reason why I didn't ever stay say out loud, oh, I, I think I could be the CEO of this company is because I, I question my ability in being able to do mm. it, right? Uh, again, something that I think we do as, as, as women. So I <laughs> am channeling that 25-year-old guy. <laughs> That's also something that comes into it. And with managing a team as well, I think some of the advice that we've had from people that we have worked with I kind of think, actually, I don't want to, I don't lead that way. That's mm. not how kick is. And it's just becoming, and it's taken us a long time. We've been on this journey for, for, you know, quite a while now, four years now with our team and like learning to trust ourselves and that just because someone told me that this is mm. how they manage their team and that was their leadership style, it doesn't have to be mine Yeah, because mm. that doesn't feel true and right to me, but it has taken a long time to learn to trust ourselves with what we feel is right. Yeah. And speaking to other, I think for me with that, speaking to other female founders in particular helped so much in this being able to believe myself, know that this is fine. Because I think it comes back to the age thing. Well, this person's had 40 years experience where I've had four, so I should listen to them. But yeah. it's not always the case. Mm. Um, so surrounding yourself with female founders that are doing what you're doing, which obviously is, is what you're <laughs> doing, which is awesome, is uh, that helped me so much. Yeah, yeah. And I think definitely leadership styles and the way that we function and how we communicate is Definitely a big one. And I think even though my team right now is just me and my co-founder, I feel like uh, we do have very different roles and it's very exciting to already start talking about that because we're thinking of maybe bringing in an intern. So that's going to oh, be... so exciting. <laughs> the first team member is always so yes. exciting. And you, what we found, you put it off for so long because you're like, oh, we're not ready. It's going to like, we'll be able to afford to pay them and all these things. And then once yeah. you have them, you're like, oh my God, how did we not have them? And then you kind of grow, you grow from there. But hiring the first person is really... 
scary. Yes, it is. Yeah. It is. And I think it's going back to what you said earlier. It's that communicating values and ensuring that that person would fit well into the company's values and what we believe in, in our vision and really trying to find the right person to join the team. I am also aware that you did mention because Kick is a health sort of like tech company, yeah. thinking about you developing the app from the design ranging all the way to actually building it. There's actually so much that goes into it. Like, yeah, how's your journey like coming from maybe talking to customers all the way to conceptualizing how it might actually look like as well as are there some main learnings that you took away from that journey? Yes. So lots of learnings. And I, so the app experience is actually Steph's side of the business. I'm more of the, like yep. the financial business operational running of the business. And Steph yep. is very, so Steph will show me two screens. And I'm yep. like, Steph, I can't see the difference. What is and she's like, Laura, one has a line and one doesn't. I'm like, mm, this is why you, this is your job. Um, so anyway, so Steph, yeah, Steph really, really owns the product side yep. of the business. But I think to start with my biggest learning with app development, I think it's something that for a lot of founders coming up, because obviously building an app is a very expensive exercise. Yes. And I think there's a misconception that you can build it mm. and then you, you know, you hire a team or you hire an agency to build your app and then it's done. Mm. But I think the biggest misconception is in development is that it is done because unfortunately with all of the updates, you know, iOS 14 might come out and it might change something in your code that you then have to update for. And there's always bugs and there's always maintenance. Like our team, we have a, a team of six developers and a lot of their time is spent on maintenance of the app that is all already something that we're really, really proud of. But then I think again, the other thing we've, I've learned with app development is you never get to a point where you're like, yeah, it's perfect. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> the product is done. There's always so much more. Like mm. our product roadmap right now is so long. There's just so many things that we want to build in and do. And and I think too, it's understanding as well that you can't always, and this took Seth and I a lot of, lot of time to get our heads around you can't always just work on features. There's yep. so much work that needs to be done, like tech debt and all of these things that need to be done behind the scenes, making sure that the, mm. the data is all set up, all the things that you can't see in the app. So it's like when you build a house and you have to pay for plumbing and electricity, which is obviously the things that are really, really important, but it's like, mm. oh, I don't want to pay for them because I don't want to put time <laughs> into that because I want to, you know, build the kitchen and all of these things. So that, that's been something that we've had to really, you know, learn to, again, it comes back to that. Everything you say yes to is saying no to something else. So working out how to prioritize that product roadmap, making sure that we're still meeting the business needs and what our community is needing, mm. but then also what we need to be able to support, support that is really hard. And so for us, when we first started, uh, our program was actually a website. So we, yes. we tested it through the website. The, a website is a much cheaper platform to build than an app. From there, we actually partnered with a an agency developer. And so they built the app mm. for us. We didn't have a team uh, internally. And then we took uh, the app in-house and now we have our own development team. That was in January 2021. So it's been yep. almost two years that we've had our own in-house development wow. team. That was a huge learning for us. And I think for Steph and I too, because we don't come from a development background, yep. when we had to interview for our tech lead because we didn't have mm. any other developers in the team to interview, to you know, to that was hard, yeah. you know. We, that was a really big trust exercise. And, yeah. Um, yeah, but I like anything. Even, what did you even ask them? Yeah. <laughs> do you like apps? <laughs> Can do. you try to build this for me? <laughs> but it's, it's hard, right? It's one of those yeah. things that, I mean, I think hiring people is hard and it's always hard. But 
Yes. I mean, there's lots of ways that you can do it and process you can bring in, but it's also, it's really hard, really hard to know if the person's going to be the right fit. But mm. we had our first developer and, and they're absolutely fantastic. But it was a process that it was one of those things that it seems really hard. But yes. then now we have our in-house development team. It's so great because we're able to be more nimble in terms of when our community needs something, being out of action it straight away and like seeing everything being developed and understanding the, you know, the journey a little bit more yes. has been really, really exciting. But yes, building an app is, it is a, a lot. It is, yes. <laughs> it's never ending. Yeah, completely really echo a lot of what you were saying because um, at the very start, I was on this journey when I first had this idea. I was alone and like really trying to figure out how it would look like and definitely had to go through like potentially trying local platforms. And now we have so many local platforms, which is great that you can actually just test the idea pretty quickly within weeks. And then like, then I met Adhita, which is now my um, co-founder that we actually built out a a more built out version of the beta. Same same here, like very difficult to figure out what features we want because we want the best and we want absolutely yes. everything. And it's like prioritizing what does the customer need now? And that's the most important feature. And you make can't the wait biggest till, it's, until it's perfect. I think exactly. that's another thing that with, especially with app development, it's like right now we've been going for kick for four years with our app and yep. it's still not perfect. Yeah. And so if we had have waited until it was perfect, we wouldn't have launched it, which exactly. means we probably would not have been able to sustain our business for, for four years without yes. um, any revenue, right? So it's just, mm. I think it's important to know that your product will continue to evolve. So it's not exactly what you want it to be right now. That is okay. And yeah, just trust the process. Yeah. And how it will look like would definitely be influenced by how the customers yes. give feedback and, and tell you what they want as well. So definitely probably would have changes. <laughs> as well. So thinking about from a business perspective, which is definitely your domain within the business, how have you sort of like determined maybe your North Star metrics or if you guys have one within the team and how do you decide on that as well as what are the things that you think health tech startups like when they're starting up should be focusing on? What we focus on now is very different to what we focused on when we, when we started. So yeah. now our core metrics for us, so the number one metric, and it's also been the number one metric the whole time, is our active users. That's that's the number one. And, and no matter what, it's really interesting within our business, we can obviously make changes in all the other numbers, but that yeah. is always the number that if that is changing positively or negatively, that makes the most impact to the overall business. Mm -hmm. The other numbers that we now, now we are more sophisticated in our reporting and, you know, our understanding and everything is our LTV, which is our lifetime value of of our customer Mm. um, and our our community member, our CPA, which is our cost per acquisition. So obviously it's really, really important to understand that because if you're acquiring users at an amount that's higher than the lifetime value of that user, then obviously the business is losing money. So keeping an eye on those numbers and then also our retention metrics. So churn, our retention percentage, our daily active users and our monthly active users for us, that's how we can really understand, you know, what content Mm. people are resonating with. And then also the completion of our actual content. So we might do one month where we try a specific new workout type or a new recipe type. And sometimes the thing we find too is we might do surveys or research and with research and surveys, obviously they're so important to do, but you also need to, sometimes people will tell you what they think they want, 
especially in health, what the, the healthiest version of themselves, like their Monday version of themselves, right, wants. <laughs> but then the way that they actually consume the content is different. So yep. being able to be able to take that data on board, but then also apply what you have learnt within your business already and how people do use your product. They're really, really important. But that, that takes a lot of time, right? Because I used to think, you know, the data is right, but it's actually so often you need to just put that extra layer of understanding and experience on top of it. So they're the core metrics that we really, really focus on now. But when we started, it was mainly the active subscriber number and that was that was our North Star. Yeah. Mm. How often are you checking in on those numbers? And like oh, a, I do a twice a day. Or Tw- twice a day, wow. <laughs> yeah, so the LTV and the CPA, That I mean, that's not really twice a day, but the, uh, the other numbers are, yeah, they change. So sometimes once, but <laughs> it's, um, it's, I mean, that's my job. I, I wake up, I go to sleep thinking about them and I, and I wake up <sighs> thinking about them. Sometimes I wish I didn't, but it's, <laughs> it's my brain. <laughs> yeah. And I think it does help, like having a very clear goal that, yes, like to make the business viable, you do need links to business success should be one of the North Star metrics. Oh, absolutely. And especially for us, I mean, we are self-funded. So it's, we have to look at like our paid marketing spend is lower than a lot of our competitors in the market. They might've had a lot of funding or, you know, sold their business for hundreds of millions of dollars. And so we have to also be conscious of that, that we can't follow a model where we're, there are some businesses that might cost they're losing $10. It might not be in fitness subscription, but in in apps in general, they're losing $10 per subscriber. And so if you do that for, you know, three or five or whatever, 1,000, 10,000 people, that could mean that you don't have cash to then pay your team and have the, like be able to fund Mm. the business and all the operational costs as well. Mm. So yeah, it's really important, especially when you don't have I mean, for all funding, because if you're getting funding, it's obviously an investor's put it in and you need to, <laughs> you want to make sure, yeah, but you want to make sure too, you're doing, you know, you're being smart with how you're using that money and, and investing it. And, and for us as well, like having a sustainable business is very, very, very important. Yeah. The other thing that I think I definitely struggle with is thinking about how to figure out your unique selling proposition or your unique insight that uh, places your platform apart from mm. other competitors or health technology out there. How did you help discover that uh, for your business, as well as any recommendations and learnings from that journey? Oh, it's hard, isn't it? It's definitely evolved. I think for us when we, and I'm I'm sure that, I mean, reading your story, you're very similar. You had a a problem that you wanted to solve that you had personally experienced. And so for Steph and I with Kik, ours is probably a little bit different in terms of the, the why of why we started, but in the fitness and health space when we started, everything was about fad diets and really like toxic diet culture Mm. and weight loss and and all these things that I I touch on at the start of that we we wanted to create a place where you could be empowered and educated on how to live a healthy lifestyle because obviously as we know Mm. working in health like you rode you rode your bike which is amazing (laughs) when you move your body you feel so good but we'd also Steph and I had both been on both our own personal Mm. journeys where we didn't exercise and eat to feel good. It was to look a certain way. And that was when we were both at our unhealthiest. So we wanted to create a safe place for that. And that really still does differentiate us from a Mm. lot of other programs. And I think too, with Kik, we really, we don't just say it. If you know our entire experience, like calories are not mentioned throughout. We have a dietitian who does obviously, because we have meal guides and Mm. things that needs to be checked, but that's not something that you would ever find within the app. So we're very true and we always have been and we've it's been hard, I think, too, especially with, you know, selling weight loss. That sells. Like that could yes. probably get our CPA down, right? But mm. that's not true to why we started and what we do and what differentiates us. So we've yep. stayed true to that. And then I think as well, the other way we've really got it is from our customers. Because mm. if you're speaking in our community members, so if you're speaking to people that have used your product and, you know, they might have within their business, this has made such an impact for me. I feel heard now that I have this system in in my workplace 
that is the thing that gets other people to try it. Because it's yeah. like you, you, if you have a case study of, of a workplace that your business has made a big impact on their NPS, how they feel, yeah. you know, the, the satisfaction of them in the workplace. Because mm-hmm. I think for, for companies especially, retaining staff is really hard and mm. it's something, it's really costly to, you know, through recruitment fees and also time resources to, to bring on new staff and the onboarding and the interview and everything. So for you, you're solving that problem that if people can be happy in their workplace and feel heard, mm. then they don't need to do all those things. But I think it's one thing to hear it from the founders who are obviously we're, we're very passionate, you know, <laughs> about what we do and our, our products and, and what, we, what we've created. But to hear it from a person who has experienced the product and it has solved that problem yeah. for them, which is what you, you set out to do in the first place, that I think is really, really powerful. And I think you learn from your community and your customers how they use your product and what problems it solves in their life and that really helps you as well form mm. that those differentiators if that if that makes any sense no 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 i think definitely i think it's understanding the core values and how that has shaped i suppose the business and therefore can communicate that to potential people who are looking into joining our community as well I definitely completely agree. I think a lot of businesses out there that I do see in sort of like the health tech space is looking more towards mental health as well as like focusing more on staff retention as well. So definitely something that within our business that we are very passionate in solving and trying to help, especially post-pandemic where people are very stressed mm. and overwhelmed. And you can refine your USP as you go along as well, Elaine. Like I, I also own a business and we did not even know what USP was when we yep. started. And then as we got feedback from our customers, our tagline is now something that a mum said to us after a show once. And I was like, hang on a second. I'm going to write that down. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like you learn so much just by getting in and getting started as well. Yeah, we did not have one in the first two years. Absolutely not. Yeah. 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 And didn't even know what our core values were. Like even through this discussion that exercise you talked about, about brainstorming all the words, I think we only did that last year. and We've been running for six years. Yeah, thank you, I suppose, for sharing all those insights because I think I definitely sometimes am overwhelmed by all these different aspects of the business that I have to look after because like as a co-founder, you're definitely the marketing person. You're thinking about how do you speak to the customers? So you're the PR and the customer service Do you pretend? Do you say, because what we did at the start, I was like, (laughs) I'll just send this on to accounts. Hello, (laughs) it was me. (laughs) I used to do that too when I would send out quotes. I'd be like, oh, well, Stacey handles all of our quotes. (laughs) And then if you write it from someone else, then you don't feel weird asking for money. But from yourself, you're like, I am worth this much. But if Stacey... Stacey says it. (laughs) She knows what's up. (laughs) It's so true. And I I think too, just remembering that, you know, all these things like as we've discussed today, you know, the value state proposition, the actual proposition of the business and all these things, you don't have to have them. It's so important Mm. to be clear in them. And you are so much clearer than I was when we first started. Like it's so impressive, but I think it's Mm. taking some pressure off because you can only do so much with with your time and knowing that sometimes you'll do the scrappy stuff and then you can, you know, formalize it and put in a presentation and, you know, write them all down. But you're probably already doing all of those things anyway and you're probably already living by your core values. And I mean, you've already got them for your business, which is amazing. But I think that, yeah, I think it's sometimes we think that to start a business or to, you know, grow, we have to like tick all of these boxes and sometimes we just need to get going and we'll tick them along the way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think it's just, it's, it's a process and understanding that it's a process and let it evolve and actually just enjoying the process as well. 
And Yala, I'm actually so impressed by you like still committing to doing a complete law degree, like oh, yeah. even during the time of running your business. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you come to the decision to continuously on this education path as well? And, and what did you learn in balancing both like your responsibility in the company as well as your, your personal aspirations? So when the business grew, I was part-time, like I was quarter-time, like I did one, one subject yeah. a semester and that's how I balanced it. I really, I love learning. I, I find that it really, really fulfills me. Yeah. So I really enjoyed the last probably two years of my degree. They were probably the hardest because of the balance of, you know, working full-time and also having uni. You know, obviously if I, I, if I were to fail the subject, that would have been really painful and frustrating. Mm. But aside from that, the only person I could let down was myself and yes. not having that worry of, oh, if I make the wrong decision, it'll affect the team or it'll affect this person. It was just, it was almost like a, I would say not meditation because it's a bit, no, it was still, <laughs> still still stressful, but it was really nice to go and have that outlet. And also towards the end of my degree as well, I mean, obviously running a business, the legal side of it is really, really important. And so I learned a lot that I was able to apply it because I was doing it and learning it when you're able to apply something that yes. you're learning in your real life, you're like a sponge, you absorb it and you want to know. I, by the end of the degree, I was like that mature age student that I, I'm sure everyone in the class wanted to kill me. It's like <laughs> the class is finished and I'm like, can I just ask one more question? <laughs> Everyone's looking at me like giving me daggers, like we need to get out of the classroom. We want to go have lunch or whatever. As well, I'm a pretty driven and I've never given up. Oh, I've probably given up on a few things, but I've rarely give up on things. And it was something that did mean a lot to me. And I think as well, just knowing what I had, the time that I had put into that degree mm. before, like I was so close to finishing and some of the subjects that I got through, like constitutional law, I found it so hard and I had to study so hard to finish it. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to be like, well, I'm, I've done that subject and so now I'm not going to graduate. Yes. <laughs> so it was a bit of that, a bit of that as well. Um, and then I think in terms of balance and learning, it's something that, and I'm sure this is something that you're facing as, as a business owner. Mm. is that you can't have everything at, at once and something always has to give. And so yes. for me, when I was studying and working, for me, it was my social life that probably gave in the most. Most of my weekends I spent studying and my nights I would spend studying. So it meant that I couldn't see my friends and I probably mm. let down a lot of those relationships, yeah. um, which is really hard because you mm. don't want to, you feel friends and, you know, connecting with people being like, is so important for our health as well. Being, not that I was lonely, but I know that the stats around loneliness and how they can actually affect our, I think being lonely for a long period of time can almost be worse on our, worse on our health than smoking, mm. which is so crazy. Wow. Um, yeah, so crazy. So it's obviously I wasn't lonely. I had my partner and, and it was fine, but it had, that connectedness is so important. So I was yeah. just trying to find ways to still have that, but knowing I was going to have to miss, you know, birthday parties or staying mm. out late or have, I suppose, have FOMO from what my friends were doing, <laughs> but you just, you can't do it. You can't do it all. Yeah. And I, I had chosen it, but I was also very comfortable with the fact that I am choosing to finish this degree and this means this. I think if if I had ignored that and I thought, oh, I'm I'm mm. doing my uni and I'm working and I'm still going to do my social life, I would have been overwhelmed. But that that kind of helped. But it is, it is really hard. Yeah. And I think the hardest for me, to be honest, because my partner also has a very crazy busy schedule because he works in a hospital full time, especially when he has overnight shifts and things, or like he might be seconded to a, a rural area, for example, like just trying to balance that scheduling. It's very difficult. I know that your partner is also working in business and also has a very busy schedule. How do you guys like 
try to ensure that you guys still make time for each other. Oh, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, last night we had an argument because I was working <laughs> late and I didn't. It's And then Dot was like, oh, I like I wanted to like have a chilled night tonight. I'm like, well, that doesn't work for me because I've got all this work and I'm going to be stressed <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I'm really sorry I spoke to you like that. <laughs> but I think it, it, it ebbs and flows. And for us, it's I think it's over. It comes back to communicating. So if yeah. I, what I find is if I get home or Dalton gets home, usually mm. we'll talk during the day and say, hey, I'm really sorry. I haven't finished my, especially if now like, a lot of my days I try not to have them all in meetings but some days it's unavoidable so yesterday the full day I was in meetings from 9 till 5 30 so then I didn't get any work done yet so then I was Mm. like I have all these things that I have to do when I when I got home and so but I didn't communicate that so then I think it's just like managing each other's Mm. expectations so it's like if if you know you have to work all night tell I'll tell Dalt in the day hey I'm so sorry I'm gonna have to work tonight and then he doesn't come home thinking it's gonna be a time of chill it's it's like okay Laura's working I might go but do something else yeah but it is really hard and I think the hardest thing with both being really busy and I suppose stressed in some ways within our careers is that storms within our work come Mm. and they go yeah Mm. And you have really calm times and then you have storms. And then usually the calm times is when you can then like not get burnt out because we're having the calm and then we're ready to take on the next storm. Yeah. I think what's really hard is when your storms don't align, how do we still be there for each other as partners and the person like each other's family, I suppose, but then at the same time still support each other's career. And because we both have the same role in our companies too, mm. I especially rely on Dalton a lot for, not a mentor, but, and he's, we're the same, we get so much advice from each other. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's like sometimes that's not the role that we need to be playing and it's like trying to work out when to play that role yeah. and when to yeah. just be the person that doesn't come back with advice and said, says, I hope you're okay. Like, do you want to just go watch a movie tonight or something? Yeah. But it is, it's it's like we literally had an argument about it last night. So we, <laughs> it's hard. It, it ebbs, it ebbs and flows. Yeah. And I think for us, it's sometimes we would be working at the same time and that's great. But like sometimes when one person's more fruit than the other. That's and the hardest. Yeah. 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 He's yeah. got to com- well, I mean, again, we had an argument last night, so I'm not going to out. <laughs> but I yeah. find communicating does it does help. Yeah, yeah. 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 it does. It I've does. got the same problem, Elaine, I, and I put it in my diary. So, as you know, Elaine, I'm I'm in a show for children, and yes, so I'm yes. away on weekends a lot, which is usually when my partner's free to hang out. So I'll put it in his diary, like Mim doing a show in Orange, so then he knows when that's yeah. coming up. I'm still not there, but at least he's aware of it in advance. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Just to round off this conversation, I saw you on the project the other day, Laura, talking about girls on TikTok and stay-at-home girlfriends and things like that. So I just wanted to kind of bring it back to what we started with and get your opinion on how important you think it is for young girls to develop business and enterprising skills. Oh, it's it's so important. I think that the stay-at-home girlfriend trend is it's something that I I find it really hard to see. I think too, especially with TikTok, everything's glamorized and it looks like this a wonderful Mm. life to aspire to, right? Because that's what a lot of content is aspirational, but it's so dangerous because I think for women in particular, and this is actually something that I've spoken on quite a few podcasts with your sister, your amazing sister, Jamila, who I'm such a big fan of um, (laughs) about, and she does incredible work in in leading this space too. Mm. And in terms of like for women in Australia, the fastest growing group of homeless people in Australia is women over 55. Mm. And it grew, I can't, I think between 2012 and 2016, it grew by 31%, the the group of people, which is just, it's crazy. Um, Also the super gap between men and and women within Australia, that is not closing anytime Mm. soon and it's significant. And I think it it just puts us at this huge, and even in in my own life, and I mean, it's very different because my mum, I um, obviously had had myself and my two sisters, but 
I've seen what can happen in a family when you don't have, when you, you know, one parent goes and works and the other one stays and doesn't because they, you know, they look after the kids and they pause their career. Mm. How much of it, depending on the time, that's my mum with me. And also I think one of the reasons I finished my law degree too, because my mum was like, education was so important to her Mm. and starting a career was so important in establishing. Because I think for women, what's really hard is that if we take, and obviously as well, I know some people, you know, they they just really want to be mums and that's that's what they want to do. And I could totally not taking anything away from that because that's amazing. And and everyone mm. can do, you know, what they do. But I think it's just really important to be educated and empowered and understand that, you know, our 20s, especially are years that we can, like, it's really important to establish our careers because I think what happens to women and why that the pay gap just continues to increase is that we sometimes will think, okay, well, we might get to whatever age you have a child, but you might not have, you establish your career to a point, but then you might take a mm. break of five years. And that might be five years where you're not paid super, mm. you know, where you then come back and then you might come back in a part-time capacity or in a, because your partner is career is the one that is the most important in mm. that relationship because they might make more money, which is likely because if it's a heterosexual relationship, if they're a male, obviously by the pay gap, mm. they make less money. And so, but what that means then is if that relationship does separate, if you have been a stay-at-home mum or, um, you know, you have put a pause on your career is that then you, your partner has had five years, first of all, made super and um, which obviously goes into a different account, but then he's also grown in his career and is probably being paid a lot more than you if you went back into your career and, you know, you have to, you might have to go back to, you know, where where you were five years ago, whatever it might be. And then to grow salary wise from that point is really hard. Mm. And so I think that's where it's just so important to be. Obviously everyone can make their own choices. And it's, uh, again, I'm not taking anything away from women that want to be stay-at-home moms, like amazing. Stay-at-home girlfriend is different because they don't have dependable children. So for that, I'm like, I'm not, people can make their own decisions, but I find it Mm. really hard to to see. But I, I think it's just so important to be really empowered and educated with with that and know that if you like I know a lot of women that the the childcare fees that they pay the same as their salary but they continue to and people might be like well that's crazy why don't you want to spend time with your kids but it's you know they're investing in their careers so then they've got that financial independence Mm -hmm. and also our careers you know they they're a part of our um our identity they're not our whole identity like we are not our jobs but Mm. they are a way that we feel fulfilled and we make relationships and connect and um Mm. and we grow and we evolve and and it's so important um, so, sorry, that was a really roundabout way of answering. No, that, <laughs> no, it was great. It was. I was listening the whole time. But I think it's like a really formative years in in your career building and your skill skill building. Yeah, like yeah. you said, it's so. like giving freedom and and the more options when you. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's options. It gives you options. Mm. So then mm. you have an option to leave if you need to yes. or you have an option to, you know, go into mm. a different career or whatever it might be. I completely agree. And it's part of the reason why we started the Accelerator for Enterprising Women because yeah. we, we found that only 12% of small business owners are women, which mm. is just shockingly low when you think about all the businesses that are, are happening in the world. So hopefully this discussion that you two have had today will inspire some more female business owners out there to take the plunge and get started. Thank you so much. It was so, so great to, to chat um, to all of you. Thank you for having me on. And I hope we can stay connected. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've learned so much through this session. Yes, absolutely. I feel like I finished every episode with this, but you guys should definitely swap numbers and stay connected <laughs> and continue to be mentors for each other. I would love that. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, it's always good to hear from more female founders. I think that's a very empowering thing to, to see. Like I think other founders, female founders especially, do understand how hard it is. Um, with social expectations and all of that, I think, for sure. 
This podcast is a listener production hosted by me, Mim Rizvi, and made in partnership with the Accelerator for Enterprising Women. Producer is Kelsey Menzies, audio by Kelly Fulston, and executive producer is Todd Stevens. Listener.